0: welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm going to keep this introduction pretty brief because I'm replacing my microphone. So I'm just using earbuds for this portion I'm recording and it doesn't sound so good. So I'm just going to move through quickly, let you know that today's episode is an interview with Christopher Rastro, a registered drama therapist here in Maryland and I think you're going to find it really interesting. So let's just dig right in. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, we are going to continue a discussion about expressive arts in the fascinating interview I'm going to be having with Krista Astro, who is a drama therapist in Owings Mills, Maryland. Krista, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you agreed to be on. And it's so funny that you're in Owings Mills, which is like 45 minutes away from where my practice is. And we haven't met in person yet, but at least we're making the connection in this way. And I know we'll take it to real life sometime soon. Yeah. So Krista, let's just start out by talking about your work and kind of your background. Can you tell our audience um, more about yourself and, and your work? Sure.
1: So I discovered drama therapy when I was about 15 years old. I first took theater in high school, and I realized my freshman year how wonderful theater was for me. I felt very healed doing the work. I was a child who felt very disempowered for many reasons, and when I discovered theater, it really empowered me. And at that point in my life, I knew I wanted to be some sort of therapist because I just always enjoyed helping people. So there was only one level of theater in my high school. And when that semester was up, I said to the people at my school, hey, I really like theater and I want to do something with it. What are my options? And they said, well, you can retake the course. And instead of doing all the assignments the other kids are going to do that you already did, you can do extra kind of credit or whatever, um, you know, do some other kinds of papers that would give, me the credit since I had done those other ones that were assigned. And so in that process, I was doing some sort of report. I don't remember the topic at the time, but I know that in doing my research, I came across drama therapy and was immediately drawn to the fact that I could combine my love of theater and psychology. So I discovered that it is a master's level program, like any kind of therapy we know, And I knew, okay, well, so I'll just do theater or psychology when I go to college and pursue it as a master's. And so I grew up about an hour outside of New York City and discovered that NYU had a school of individualized study. And I discovered that I could make my own concentration there. So I studied theater and psychology and actually there was a drama therapist on staff there. So she really mentored me a lot. And I immediately went on from there to get my master's in drama therapy and have been in the field ever since, and I am a registered drama therapist is the credential that we get. So I have worked with all sorts of populations in that time. I pretty much say the only thing I haven't really done is inpatient (laughs) at this Mm. point. I've worked with mentally ill people and um, I've done prison work. I've done Um, elderly and dementia and all sorts of things. What I fell into, I moved to Maryland nine years ago and I actually interviewed for a job the same week I moved, got it, and I ended up there for eight years. And that was, I know, Laura, you did similar work. It was um, an agency that does domestic violence, sexual abuse and assault and human trafficking. So trauma became my niche and it still is what I mostly do. So last year I started private practice and I do share space with two art therapists and one of them was someone I worked with at that agency I just mentioned. And so we luckily have gotten to work together a lot um, when we see families and stuff and do sessions together. We get to combine our art and drama therapy, which is really cool. So that's where I am currently. And I also do a lot of presenting because people are always fascinated by drama therapy since it is very Little known. Um, so I tend to find myself getting a lot of offers for presentations.
0: <laughs> so it's great. Speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you came on to Therapy Chat because even though I knew you were a drama therapist and we've connected through online uh, in the past, I, I don't, I just don't know that much about it. And mm-hmm. I really think that a lot of people don't know about it. So I hope this discussion will really help those who are listening to kind of. Think about what therapy can be in a different way. I have to say, I can't believe we haven't run into each other at some point because I moved to Maryland now um, about 10 and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and I was working in a sexual and domestic violence program. You know, when I first moved here, too, it's like, mm-hmm. how did our paths not cross? Because our counties are right next to each other. Yeah. But you mentioned that you are in private practice and you share space with two art therapists and other drama therapists. Is that right?
1: Uh, there's no other drama therapist where I'm at currently, but I am. Um, I know some in the area, the, the few that are here, I tend to know.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's a really kind of a small.
1: Yes. Super small. I could actually tell you how small. If you're, whenever I say this, people are baffled. So how small? I was registered 10 years ago. When I got my registration, I was number 374, and that is from the year 1979 when they started. So you get the idea that in the I whole 374 state 374 in the whole country. <gasps> the country. So now oh someone gosh. I know got theirs last year, and they were number six something. So 600 something. So ever since 1979, from the start of my organization, there's only been 600 something people who've gotten registered in it.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So yeah, we're a rare breed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's so I mean, it's wonderful that you're, you're out there and offering this. So let's just talk a little bit more about what drama therapy really is. Can you, I'm sure you can define that for us and describe it.
1: (laughs) Actually, I I can do both because when I do talk about it, I do like to give the definitions there are and then talk, break them down a little bit more for you in terms. So the two definitions I have to share, one is drama therapy is the systematic and intentional use of drama slash theater processes, products and associations to achieve the therapeutic goals of symptom relief, emotional and physical integration, and personal growth. The other one is drama therapy is an active, experiential approach to facilitating change. Through storytelling, projective play, purposeful improvisation, and performance, participants are invited to rehearse desired behaviors, practice being in relationship, expand and find flexibility between life roles, and perform the change they wish to be
0: and see in the world incorporating one of my favorite quotes there at the end (laughs)
1: yeah right um yeah it's a lovely way of putting it (laughs) but um those are the the technical definitions which I know sound wordy uh so basically the idea is using theater techniques in therapy so just like the way I liken it is most people are familiar with art therapy and music therapy because again they have more numbers and more people doing it It's the same idea. It's instead of using art as the medium or music as the medium, drama therapy uses drama as the medium. And what I actually say about it is to me, drama is all the arts. You've got visual art and drama, you have movement, there may be music. So to me, it really is all the arts combined. Um, And what I tell people, when I was a kid, actually, my love was music. I played clarinet and was really good at it. And that was I I played by ear. I was like talented at it too. And like I said, theater came later for me. But when it came to being a therapist, it made a lot of sense to me to do drama therapy because when you think about it, we're always in role. So one of the premises is that we play different roles. So my role right now is different than the role I have with my husband or the role I have with my parents or the role I have with my clients. So you have all these different roles and everybody has to sort of find a way to be comfortable with the multiple roles they play. And so in a, a therapeutic lens, we look at what role is somebody may be stuck in. You know, are they, do they as, associate as a victim role? Do they associate as a sick person role, an angry person? So looking at roles that people get stuck in and trying to find better balance in roles, what roles do they want to try on and be more of and strengthen So that's one of the big, we heard that word in those definitions, but that's what it really means is the roles that we play in our everyday life. Mm. And one thing I could say too, in the definition, it brought up performance. So one of the things I constantly have to tell people, yes, there is drama therapy that can include performance. I have done performances and I can give you a summary of that as For example, I did a Black History Month play. I was working on an HIV AIDS unit when I lived in New York City and um, they wanted to do for Black History Month a play about it. And so I don't know how, (laughs) who suggested it, but I go where the client goes, as any good therapist does, and they wanted to explore what it would be like to do a talk show in heaven with all these leaders in black history. Mm. So each client in the group got to choose someone they resonated with, and so there were people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, you know, all these famous people, and each person got to play one of them, and I got to be the talk show host and interview them about what they brought to the world, you know, so what, and you, you know, you mentioned your favorite quote, so what change did those people bring to the world, and so they got to see, like, what was it like, Rosa Parks, were you scared when you had to stand up for yourself on that bus, and it was a really neat exploration, about being human. Um, Another example I have is when I worked at a day treatment center for people with mental illness. We did a play that again, the clients came up with the theme, but the theme was they wanted to reverse roles with the staff. That was the whole theme of the play (laughs) was Mm -hmm. them becoming the staff and the staff becoming the clients. And without me doing a whole lot of guiding, it was beautiful because they came to the theme of the story ended up being the rules are in place for a reason that when they discovered how, when they were in the role of being structured and being the authority, they realized that when people don't want to listen to the rules, chaos happens. Mm. And so they came to that all on their own. You know, like I said, I did very little guiding, but it was a great play, a lot of comedy, but also a serious message about, okay, we have structure for a reason. It's therapeutic to have structure. So yes, performance does happen in drama therapy, But also it can be used one-on-one in individual sessions and group sessions, family sessions, however other therapy is used. I use it, uh, you know, drama therapy is used in those purposes. So in that context, when it's more one-on-one or group work, it's more about reversing roles in an improvisational form, uh, storytelling and having people take on roles Mask making and exploration in that monologues with that, um, lots of creative things that are more improvisational. So there's not a performance aspect to it. So they're both therapeutic. They just have a slightly different end goal. Like I would say with performance, it's really nice when you want to share a message. For example, there's a lot of drama therapists who use it to spread messages about domestic violence or about autism or mental illness. So trying to get rid of stigmas, basically. Uh, So the performance aspect can be more about trying to connect people on a larger level. And there's a a better chance of sort of that accomplishment feeling, that pride that people can take in it and a team building effort that comes with doing plays. But one on one, it's, um, you know, some other different goals that we
0: work on. Wow, there's so much to it. (laughs) There really is. Yeah. Some words that stood out to me in the two definitions that you gave that I think were thought provoking just in being included in it. And I don't know that everyone would have even caught them or was thinking about how they, what they mean. So I want to back up a little and ask you. Absolutely. Um, I, I jotted down active, experiential, and mm-hmm. integrative or integration. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how? I guess expressive arts therapies and how drama therapy are active, experiential yes. and integrative and what that means.
1: Okay. So I'm gonna do the best <laughs> I can be eloquent here. Okay. So experiential meaning rather than just talking, we're getting up and putting it into action. So again, that can be role playing, mask making, monologues, um, storytelling in different different ways that we're gonna enact it. There's puppetry, I'm using a lot of it looks like play therapy, by the way, if any of this sounds familiar for people listening who are familiar with that, there's a lot of overlap um, in some of the approach. And um, so that experiential piece is, is doing action rather than just talking about it.
0: Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years, and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone and Any time I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Can you say how experiential work does something emotionally?
1: So a couple of thoughts. When we talk, it often can feel very overwhelming. Or on the other hand, it could feel very cerebral, right? So, So in the creative arts therapies, and I know because I do present about this a lot, and I talk to a lot of other creative arts therapists in general, there's a theory we all have, and I don't know that we all word it the same, In drama therapy, it's called aesthetic distance. And with aesthetic distance, the idea is to have a balance between thinking and feeling. So when we use the word over distance, a person is too removed from their emotions. And if they're under distance, they're too close to their emotions. So they can't even do anything because they're so caught up in their emotions. And we we know (laughs) the clients tend to be more of that in therapy. Um, I think then people who are over distance don't even tend to seek therapy for the most part. Although there's some people, I'm sure you know, too, that there's some people who sit there and tell you of their trauma, and they have no attachment to it that it's it's like they, the emotion is so disconnected. So that's what get, I
0: see a lot that people yeah, just so aren't really connected. Of it. to it's it. just like,
1: I'm sure you know, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners know with trauma, you have dissociation, or you could have hyper arousal. So there's sort of those two extremes, like one is over feeling and one is under feeling. And so in this idea of aesthetic distance, you want to find that balance of feeling and thinking. And so when you're talking, it's hard to sometimes you become over emotional, and you can't really work through the emotions, or again, you don't really touch the emotions, and you sort of need to do that to heal through them. So when you actually move it to the realm of experientials, there's a safety um, one of the big premises in drama therapy and other creative arts therapies is that when you put it onto an object, that's not you. So a lot of therapists who are listening probably know about projective techniques, right? We think of the old school, the ink blots, and different things. The idea with the creative arts therapies is when you're externalizing those feelings into art and drama and different mediums like that, you are taking it outside of yourself so it feels safer because it doesn't feel like it's you, but really, obviously, we know it is you. So it simultaneously feels safer because it's not really me. But at the same time, it allows you to explore me in a deeper way. So, for example, if someone puts a mask on their face, they're hiding their facial expressions, which might feel safe because like, oh, people can't see how I'm feeling. I feel safer. I don't feel as vulnerable. But it also allows the body to become freer. And so stuff might come through the body that might not have been seen otherwise. And so it simultaneously hides parts of the selves and shows parts of the selves. So it's, um, it's an interesting way of looking at it. That's one of the things I love about what I do is that talking, I'm a talker, obviously <laughs> I'm very chatty <laughs> and there are clients. I actually do talk with the whole session or most of the session, but I bring up the creative elements where I feel that they get stuck. But I think, yeah, I think experiential sometimes has to happen for Things to go deeper for it to feel safe enough to go into a scary territory um, or just to get a different perspective. Because when you externalize it, you do get a different perspective on it than if you're just talking out
0: loud, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah.
1: And if I may piggyback to what you said, so about the integrative part. Yeah. And I know, you know, a lot of the work you do since I do follow you on social media and stuff in terms of the holistic, the sort of treating not just the emotional realm, but what I always say, I treat the different domains as a person who does experiential therapy. So not just those emotions, but also physical, right? So in drama therapy, we could do things that, that involve getting the body in there, acting things out, movement of sorts. And one of the other things I'll just mention with that is, is as I'm sure you've come across in all your trauma studies is the idea that repetitive movement helps heal trauma and so if you're doing things in drama that are repetitive then that's healing it's changing the neural pathways so again I treat the physical realm to uh, the social realm obviously even if it's just me and a client that's still building social bonds not that talk therapy doesn't build social bonds because it does but there's a there's Something I actually say when I present sometimes is there's a difference when you tell a story and you enact a story, it becomes different from the owner of the story versus the participant in the story, right? So when you talk and I'm sort of sharing my story with you, it's my story only. But when we act it out together, it becomes our story. So there's this component. Mm. And then obviously it gets even bigger when you do something that does involve group work or or performance work where it becomes a shared experience and a bonding experience. So there is that social
0: element. I would think there's something about the trust of allowing oneself to be vulnerable to do the performance or the movement together, Mm -hmm. rather than just sitting in the chair where you know what to expect. The other person's sitting, you know what they're going to do, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of, I was also going to say with the social part of it, that, the role reversals and role plays help to create empathy and, you know, I, again, with social roles that can help people explore social roles. Like, oh, I never knew what it felt like to be a mother or, you know, I never knew what it felt like to be a significant other, whatever it is, somebody might get the chance to try out a social role that they didn't know. And so they have a better understanding of it. So I think it could be Actually, a lot of drama therapy came out of social, social justice movements. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of Augusto Boal, who was famous for, in Brazil, taking theater to the people, the oppressed people, and trying to get rid of oppression through theater. So that wow.
0: was,
1: yeah, one of the influences in the field of drama therapy. So, yeah, so the social aspect is pretty cool. And also the cognitive domain i would say something we also treat thought thought stuff problem solving right and so that's really important getting to again try out different roles and problem solve scenes rehearse scenes if someone has anxiety rehearsing for the future somebody has depression maybe looking at what could we have changed if we can go back and change something about the past or for me a lot of nightmare work so with trauma obviously people have nightmares so sometimes I'll have them change the ending to a nightmare, whether it's through acting or through sand tray and using figurines. So the cognitive domain is another important one as far as to me what integrative means in my therapy practice. And um oh and within that too is also C B T type type of work. I use a lot of scales to show, mm. especially when I do groups. There's um, something called a spectrogram that actually comes out of psychodrama, which I know you and I might get to talking about how psychodrama and drama therapy are a little different, but using scales on the side of the room. So on one side, if I said, how do you feel today? On one side of the room might be, I'm terrible. This is the worst I've ever felt. On the other side is, it's awesome. It's the best day ever. And then I'd say, place yourself anywhere on the scale, wherever you'd like. So if you feel you're smack in the middle, go in the middle. If you feel like you're more happy than Bad, then go somewhere towards that end, you know, and so that it, there's a way of concretizing what someone might feel in a different way than just talking about it. So yeah, so I feel like an integrative practice helps treat all these different domains that we have in our lives, rather than just talking about emotions.
0: Yeah. Wow, this sounds so great. Yep. Sometimes I wish I could learn everything that my guests know how to do, but then, you know, I'm just glad to know that other people know how to do these amazing things. So I do want to talk about psychodrama and how drama therapy and psychodrama are different Mm -hmm. because I didn't learn about psychodrama until, well, I'd heard about it once in grad school. And I remember we did this one, our teacher kind of just led us through without explaining anything ahead of time. She was like, you know, here's your script, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. And we're all gonna, you know, act this out and (laughs) the rest of you are the audience. And, but it was the most powerful thing. And everyone who was watching was just crying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that was necessarily great in terms of like, you know, how some people were triggered and, (laughs) you know, all that was happening. But it was just, it was like from in one moment, we were dragging ourselves into this Saturday morning class, like, oh, God, you know, just tired and complaining. And the next moment, we're like, totally, like transfixed watching what's happening and just having this huge emotional experience. So that was how I initially learned about it. And then, as you and I talked about before, in Lisa Ference's trauma certificate, psychodrama was a part of the teaching. And I was fascinated by what it can do. But when I met you, and I heard you were a drama therapist. I assumed it included drama, uh, psychodrama. So now please clear up my misconceptions and help us understand the difference.
1: Sure. So psychodrama was first. Psychodrama, actually, the knowledge I have about the history of it, it was around the 1920s, it became big. And drama therapy ended up veering off in around the 70s, after experimental theater sort of became a big thing. Mm -hmm. So the reason it veered off was because people who are interested in it wanted more freedom because psychodrama is actually pretty structured. Mm-hmm. So within that structure there is improv, but it has a structure. So the structure tends to be a warm-up, an action, and then the sort of um processing period. So usually a warm-up only lasts about five to ten minutes and it's just to get people sort of in the moment, spontaneous moment, kind of come to the here and now. So they will do a, a drama activity. So, an example I can give you: say, for example, if I was doing a group and I put out a bunch of hats, and I said, "Everybody, take out a bunch of take a hat, and then you put it on and take on a character, and then have the group interact as these characters." Right. So, it's a little warm up to get everyone in the same place. Then, usually, what happens is the psychodramatist, who usually is the director, would say, "All right, everybody who has a burning story to that they want to look at today." Let's let's have you tell the story that you're thinking of sharing and anybody who resonates with that would get to vote on it. So basically everyone shares the story that they're thinking of and then a vote is taken to see which one resonates with the most people and that story usually gets to be enacted. And through that inaction process, there's, there's actually words, I don't know if, if you learned this, but the protagonist and the auxiliaries. So the protagonist is the main person who gets chosen. The auxiliaries are the people who help with the enactment, so they might play other roles in the story. So the enactment itself can be a past situation that feels unfinished. It could be a fantasy, a dream, um, something in the future somebody wants. So it could be any of these things that get externalized. And then the person, the protagonist gets to explore it, but the auxiliaries come in to help fill in the roles, like I said. So if you have unfinished business with a parent, right, then there'd be that parent and maybe the other parent would be, another auxiliary would play, maybe siblings, maybe friends, maybe a significant other. So there's this whole sort of scene that happens. And that's probably what you're talking about, because I know I know myself from having done psychodrama that, you know, there can be some really intense, especially the ones that do examine real life things from the past can be very, very intense. So it, it's a very structured sort of look at something. Again, there's improv within there because the director might decide, okay, you just asked your pretend father a question, but I want you to answer it. So I'm going to have you reverse roles with him and you play your father and let's see what you think he would say. So that's sort of the structure. And then at the end, after that enactment occurs, there's the processing period, which is an interesting thing because it's, it's not an analy- Analysis of the situation. It's more of a sharing what resonated for people. So I really related. So when you had that moment with your father or that image of you and your father hugging resonated with me. So people share more like that as opposed to to analyzing what happened. And then the reason why is actually because the thought is if it was intense, you don't want to like have an open wound and and go too deep and then the person's not closed up. So it's more just a Digesting period for the protagonist and a period for sharing so that people can bond over it. So, drama therapy, the way I tell people about it is that that warm up period that was more metaphorical with the hat thing that I shared, that's a little bit more like what we drama therapists typically do. We work a little bit more in metaphor and more improv based, but that's not totally true because people really do mix it up as they need. So again, going to that idea of distance, if I have a client who I want them to get closer to their emotion, I am going to do something that's less metaphorical and more direct. But on the other hand, if someone's overwhelmed by their emotions, I don't want to be like, okay, talk to your dead mother over there, right? I want to do something that's more metaphorical, like, okay, let's get some finger puppets that represent a mother and a child. So that way it feels safer, Mm, feels less close to home. So that's a big part of the training that people like me go through is learning how to navigate that. So in art therapy, they have the same kind of ideas. If you wouldn't use finger paints with somebody who's dysregulated, you need to use a lot of structure, right? Same Mm -hmm. with uh, music therapy. You wouldn't do drumming with someone who's aggressive. (laughs) So that's the idea is we're trained to know when to use these different techniques. And what I will say, so psychodrama tends to use more psychodramatic techniques and drama therapy tends to use more projective techniques. So to give you the gist of what that means, the psychodramatic techniques are the me roles. They're roles that are still me, but they're different parts of me and that kind of thing. And um, the projective techniques are the ones that are not me. So again, the, the puppets and the masks and the dolls and the stories of characters you take on, those things are all not me, right? They're, they're very distanced. So right. drama therapy, again, tends to use more of that metaphor, but again, yes, it gets very, it's, it's hard to explain because we kind of just go where we need to go. So it doesn't always, it's not always one or the other. But that's a little bit of the breakdown, how psychodrama and drama therapy look a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You're so knowledgeable about this.
1: Yeah, actually, I talk with people about my identity as a drama therapist. I don't know when I retire one day, I'm going to be like, I don't know what to do because for most of my life, I've been a drama therapist. Yeah, it's, it's a passion.
0: It's wonderful. What you said about when you were 15, not being very empowered until you found drama. It's clear that once you found it, you knew, because I sure wish at 15, I had been so clear about what I wanted to be when I grew up and how to get there and all that. I was very, very much less. I didn't figure it out until I was about 29. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> but that's okay. You know, we're all on our own journey, but it's pretty inspiring how, you know, it just lit a fire in you and you mm-hmm. ran with it.
1: Um, one thing I will say is I often get people thinking it's just for kids, mm. and it's not. Adults benefit from it, too. I see all ages. Um, I've literally seen from two to over 100, and everyone can benefit from it. And again, a good therapist knows how to make it appropriate for the client they're working with. So with the kids I work with, it does look a little bit more like play therapy. might be a lot more improv but with adults, it might tend to be more, a little bit more of like that psychodrama stuff I mentioned, or like, a, for example, I use a lot of poetry, I like to take a poem that's like somebody else wrote, and then do other versions of it. Um, for example, there's a really cool poem I actually did in a, a workshop years ago, and I sort of borrowed the ideas, as many of us do. But it's called autobiography in five short chapters, I think is the exact title. And it's really a cool little poem that says like, I was walking down the street. I fell in a hole. Took me a long time to get out. Then the next chapter is, I was walking down the street. I saw the hole. I still fell in it. (laughs) Oh, I (laughs) know that one. Oh, you do? Yeah. So it's like this process of, you know, we learn, we make the mistakes, we see it coming, we still make it, and then eventually we get to a place where we avoid that street altogether, right? Yeah. So in drama therapy, an example of using a poem like that would be to say, write your own journey, write your own five chapters about what your journey's been, and let's, let's enact it, right? So let's enact you falling into the hole, so to speak. Like when I did it, I talked about the castle. Uh, I don't even know where I'm very creative myself, obviously, why I got into this work, but my poem ended up being, I was a princess and I kept letting people in the castle who took advantage of me and then my castle kept getting robbed. So then eventually it was like, well, then I built a moat and then I put some alligators in the moat and I learned to... Not always answered the door when somebody knocked, and so it was my own journey of putting up my boundaries. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure many of us therapists have been through that <laughs> so and then, in that workshop, we got to enact our own poems that we created based on that first poem. so with adults, it might look a little bit different, but yeah, so it is for all ages though i don't I don't like having to always correct people that it's not just for kids,
0: <laughs> yeah, so do you use poems and things like that with little kids too? Or is it more something that they need to be a little bit older?
1: I haven't really tried poems so much with the kids. What I do do with with younger, I've done it with groups of teens I've worked with to do a group poem. So to have each person add a line to the poem. So for example, even when I do presentations now as a demonstration, I'll often use, let's say if we're talking about our strengths. So each person in the room can add a line about our strengths, you know, and then sometimes you can even enact it as you speak the poem then like we are tough and then put on a a pose that's a tough pose right so that's another thing In, in drama therapy we do some sculpting where you could have people sculpt as almost like a frozen statue using their bodies to sculpt emotions so that's a neat aspect too
0: that's really cool and that's just so when you use your body like that in representing something emotional it's really different hmm. It's very, very cool. So another question I bet you get a lot. But if you don't, it's something I was wondering is, do people have to have? Do they have to be really creative? Or do they have to have like a drama or, you know, creative background to be able to participate? No.
1: So actually, when you have somebody who's very product oriented, it can get in the way of them looking at their process. Like even a lot of my clients who don't consider themselves creative. They're constantly going, oh, this is terrible. Can I start over? Oh, I, this drawing's awful. I made a mistake and I always have to encourage this isn't going in a gallery. This is just for us to explore something. So no, no creativity or experience with the creative arts is needed for any of the creative arts therapies. The idea is just to look at them in a different way. Look at those feelings and those thoughts that we have in a different way. It helps when somebody's open to it because I certainly have clients where I'll say something and they'll be like, I really don't want to try that. <laughs> and I'm like, just bear with me. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, like, I do tell people I never force. And I always respect if there's just something it's really, really uncomfortable. But sometimes I also encourage at the same time, you know, it might be uncomfortable just because it's new. But trust me, like, I am trained in this. And I wouldn't be telling you this if I didn't think it was going to ultimately have a good effect for you. Yeah, it helps when people are open minded to, to the ideas that are presented, the different techniques
0: And do people come to you specifically looking for drama therapy, you know, or or does anyone ever just show up who doesn't know that you're a drama therapist or they didn't pick up on that detail?
1: So it's a good question. It's interesting. I actually recently had the first person reach out looking for drama therapy groups specifically. Most of the time, because it is so little known, most people do not seek it out. And actually, I, I I struggle with how to even advertise myself mm-hmm. <laughs> in that way because I'm like, on one hand, people think, oh, isn't that an automatic niche right there that you're a drama therapist and you're so unique? But no, it's because people don't know it. It doesn't really help to advertise that aspect in a way. Mm-hmm. And people, I think, get intimidated by it. Again, they see it and they think it's like, oh, that's for kids or, you know, something where they don't feel it's fitting. yeah. The other thing I learned is drama therapy is more like a modality in a way, whereas like I've realized that people are looking for their symptoms. So they're not necessarily looking for, as you know, you know, sometimes there's clients who are looking for EMDR or CBT, but most of the time they're just looking for a therapist that treats anxiety or depression or trauma or whatever, right? And so that's um, more what I focus on when I share with people what I do therapy wise, but the the beauty about what I do, I also tell people is, is in the world, it's come to be that creative arts therapists in general are often seen as adjunct therapists. When you look at hospitals and stuff that they're often secondary therapists, like a person will have a main therapist they see weekly. And then us creative arts therapy, people are leading groups and different things like that. It's just kind of been the trend everywhere. And I think it's changing. But it's it's a cool thing that I could actually when I do talk with other therapists and say, hey, you might have a client you feel stuck with just talking. And then if you still want to work with them because you have a good rapport and, and things are still happening, but you want them to have another angle to this, I could work in conjunction. Right. So sometimes there are clients that that do want that sort of sort of like, you know, EMDR again, to use that as an example, that sometimes someone will have a therapist they just do EMDR with and keep going to someone they've already had a rapport with for the other stuff. So yeah. that's, that's one thing I do tell other therapists. It's like, yeah, you have a client that you feel they just need something to supplement what you're doing with them, then I could do that work too. So yeah, it's rare. It's rare that someone will seek a drama therapist. And it's also rare to ever see a job looking for a drama therapist to hire just because again, it's super, super unknown in a lot of ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, it's, Clearly, I know from what you're saying that the work must be very powerful, and I'm certain it's very effective mm-hmm. with your clients, particularly since, as you know, you and I both share the work in mm-hmm. trauma. I, I have no question that what you're doing would be very powerful for people who have trauma, especially complex trauma, stuff that's nonverbal that they don't have a way to express or they are worried about having to relive it by talking about it over and over Of course, that's what people think happens and it isn't what happens. But, you know, a a movement or a way to do experiential work and sand tray and all the ways of enacting roles that you talked about. um, I have no doubt that that would be very powerful for people. So I hope some people who are listening get a little different perspective about drama therapy through this interview.
1: Yeah, another example I can give you just to, to give you another idea of how I work with trauma with it. Um, one of the things when I present, I talk about this case study. I had a, a teen who I worked with who had been sexually abused. And one of the rituals I use, a big part of drama therapy is to use rituals in in typically the beginning and the end of session, especially for kids who have ADHD or autism or something where they need that structure especially, doing something to start and end the session. So they get in that habit of knowing the structure. So one ritual I did though, which was not a beginning and ending kind of ritual is to talk about the wounded child self and going on a journey to be reborn. So this sort of metaphorical rebirth after trauma. Mm -hmm. So this client made a little figure out of clay with crutches and stitches and didn't have any hair was frowning with a tear and so I asked, I, I had her give it a character a name. I don't remember offhand what she named it, but, you know, obviously had to do with being broken and, you know, in a bad place. And so I asked her, how can we help heal this wounded self? What journey does it need to go on? So the sand tray became a beach and I had a um, amusement park toy set. And so that became a, a adventure at the amusement park she went and gave it a good uh, get well card and she gave it a badge like a courage badge and so she took it through this ritualistic journey to give it some healing and then at the end because it was made of clay I had her change it how it felt after the rebirth and I had her give it a new name so in the end she put a smile she erased the tear she put hair on the head the stitches were fading and you could tell she was on her way to healing so that's another example of enacting a ritual for therapy sake.
0: Yeah, that's very cool and i can see how you know sometimes it's like, you know, you tell a story, tell a different ending, but when you're staying in that cognitive place of just talking and not doing something that's more experiential mm-hmm. like the sand tray and the creating the the figure, you know, you can still remain very detached from it like you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Well, Krista, this has been just absolutely fascinating. I am so grateful that you took the time to be on Therapy Chat today. Um, Do you have anything that you're offering that you would want to let people know about and how to get in touch with you?
1: So I have things that I'm thinking of doing as far as um, like one day workshops for people to test out. I've had some thoughts about different things. So I hopefully will have that in the coming months is a thought. And I do have a website that I will post that kind of stuff when it comes. But I also am writing a blog. And my first five entries, I think were about drama therapy specific about concepts that we use in it and giving some practical examples of how I use it. Actually, the one I just shared, I do think I have in one of them. So that's, there if people want to learn a little bit more about drama therapy follow my blog and I do talk about it I just posted this week about a metaphor you looking at flowers and how we could learn from flowers about self-care so you could follow me my website is my name which is the website is k r i s t a v e r r a s t r o. dot com and uh Yeah, I I actually, I am presenting for people who are professionals and might want to learn more about it. I'm presenting August 6th, I think it is. It's a Sunday in August. I'm presenting about group work with adolescents. I did present in early March about trauma and drama therapy. um, And that is through the Chesapeake Beach Professional Seminars. Oh, okay. So that's on their website.
0: So that's in, for those of us in Maryland? Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. And I'll be sure to put that information, including your link to your website in the show notes for this episode. So everybody can find it, especially people who are listening while they're driving and don't get a chance to write it down. I think that what you're doing is wonderful. And I'm so grateful that you were my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Christopher Astro. Apologies again for the tinny quality of this part that I'm recording here. And I'll have a new microphone soon. So that problem should go away. I know Pete, my audio engineer hates listening to this type of tinny recording. Thanks for putting up with me, Pete. And for all of you listening, thanks so much. And I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.